Lord, we just come before you today and we give you thanks. First and foremost for your son, Jesus. Lord, uh, because of your great love for us, you sent Jesus into this world. And he led a sinless life, setting an example for us all. He died for our sins, that the grave could hold him. And on the third day, he rose again. And when he ascended up to heaven to sit at your right hand, Father, he, he told us and he left us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would fall in this place today, all throughout this country and indeed throughout the world right now. There's, there's fires of revival breaking out. So Father, I just pray that, that the fire of revival would break out in each and every one of our hearts. But that can't happen unless we have a spirit and an attitude of repentance. Lord, King David asked that you would search him and know his heart. Lord, I just ask that for each and every one of us. If we want true revival to break out, that's what we have to do. So, Father, I just pray that, that as we uh, study your word today, that that, that that spirit of repentance and revival would break out in us, Lord. Maybe if there's any wrong way or wrong thinking that we've been involved with, Father, that, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. And, Lord, I just ask that, uh, that you would have your way in us today. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you all are aware, we're uh, going through a study on the book of First Timothy right now. And... Uh, as you're also all aware, well aware that young Timothy was one of Paul's proteges, and he had, had was left to serve the Lord and, and, and be a pastor to the people in, in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was, uh, was not without its challenges, was it? Ephesus, in the book of Acts, we, we, we read in, in Acts, I think it's chapter 19, that, that there was a guy by the name of Demetrius. Remember Demetrius? And uh, he was an idol maker. He made little idols, and he made good money making idols to the, to the goddess Artemis, right? And uh, when Paul and his disciples came in and they started winning converts to Christianity, it was taking a big chunk of his money away from him, and he didn't like that. So he, he stirred up a riot, right? So we know that there was a big temple to the goddess Artemis there, and I think that we see that Paul is writing Timothy in this constant battle that they were having, uh, trying to maintain and, and keep those recent converts from going back to their old pagan ways. Matter of fact, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Jeff preached on that last week. It says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such te teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a, as with a hot, hot iron. You know, and, and he's talking about these false teachers coming into the world and, and people doing things that, that they shouldn't be doing. And, and uh, he's trying to teach and warn Timothy about how to, to deal with folks that are, that are in conflict with, with Christian doctrines and Christian teachings. And uh, we start out at verse, chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. 
Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You know, and I was thinking about that verse, and it says, do not rebuke an older man harshly. Well, if we, if we look, I think it's in, in the, the book of James chapter 3, it says, if anyone is caught in a sin, those who are godly should restore him how? Gently. Gently. Not to speak to them harshly. And especially in, not so much in these modern times we live in now, but in the olden days, and in, 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 I guess it wasn't very long ago, really, if you count the, the number of years, but older women and men were, were revered in, in, in biblical cut culture. They were honored. And I don't know how we ever lost track of that. Somehow I think maybe it was during the, the 60s when we came into this era where we weren't to trust anybody over the age of 30, right? Remember those days? Somehow we have taken value away from the elders and placed it on youth. Well, when I was growing up, I don't know, I had a bunch of friends that were my own age, and they weren't really smart, and they weren't ones you'd really trust with a whole lot of knowledge, you know what I mean? And now that I'm older, you know, I used to think my parents were so stupid, oh, they were so dumb. Gosh, Mom, what do you got to be so dumb for? Anybody ever said that, Nathaniel? I hope I've gotten smarter over the years. But one thing I found out that many of my peers didn't really have any wisdom to offer me that was beneficial. And my grandfather was one of my best friends growing up, and I spent a lot of time with him. And you know what? He had a lot of wisdom. And he taught me a lot of things that I... I enjoyed being around him, and I revered him because of, of his wisdom and his experience. You know, the, the problem with, with youth, thinking they have all the answers, is really they haven't faced any of the problems of this life. Right? I remember when I was young, I thought I had all the answers until I started having problems. <laughs> and I had to go to people that had a little more experience than me to help me through those things. So we are to, to honor and, and to, to treat older men and women with, with reverence because they are smarter than we are. They have lived more than we have, and they have experienced things. And I think it's in the... Let's see, Proverbs 16, I think. It says, gray hair is a crown of splendor, and it's attained in the way of righteousness. You know, people that have lived longer than you probably have experienced more of life's trials than you have. But they've overcome them. And you might do well to pay attention to what they tell you. But in this case... Paul's writing Timothy and says not to rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he was your father. That means to me that if he was to be rebuked, that there was something that he did, either in word or in deed, that needed some correction, right? You know, and I think it's back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 or 3, 
where, where, or chapter 4, I'm sorry, in verse 12 it says, Don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech and your life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, Timothy being as young as he was, having to go to an older, older fella or an older woman and say, Hey, you know what? What you're teaching and what you're saying and what you're doing doesn't really line up with the teachings of Christ. You know? And he would have to do that in a way as to not make him fall away, right? That's a very touchy subject, I know, and it's kind of hard to, to have to deal with, especially when you're a younger person talking to an older person. But he is to, to talk to him as if he was a, his father and his, an older woman as a mother, you know. And in this culture that they were at right now, those were people who were, were honored and revered. And if there was some wrong teaching that, or, or wrong thing in them, and Timothy had to go to him, he had to do it with gentleness and humbleness. He had to, to and, and that's a good one for us too, right? We ought to be humble, and, humble and, and, and gentle with those that we have to, to correct. And it says, teach younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Absolute purity. Why is that? Because Timothy, being a young man, unmarried, having to go to a young woman who may have been in a life outside of Christianity for a long time and needed some, some direction in how to live her life as a Christian, there might be a tendency to be attracted to her and to use his position of a power and authority in order to enter into a relationship with her. You know, when it talks about, you know, uh, restoring a young man gently in James chapter 3, it also says, lest you be tempted. Right? Lest you be tempted. So there's a warning from Paul to Timothy to, to not, you, you know, when you're speaking and dealing with people that are your same age, to do it with gentleness, with hum, hum, you know, being hum, humil, <laughs> being humble and, and gentle, but also with absolute purity, absolute purity. So then he goes on and he talks in verse three. He starts talking about recognition for for uh, for widows, and it says, "Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need." But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first to put all their religion into practice by caring for their own family and doing two things. So they repay their parents and their grandparents, and then they please God. And what we see here going on is, is there's widows. In this culture, at this time, women basically worked inside the home. They didn't have careers back then. They, they raised children. They managed their homes. They might have little side jobs. You know, well, Lydia was a, a seller of purple. They, they might have little side jobs. And, and Priscilla and Aquila, they were, were, were tent makers. They had some forms of money, but most generally, most women at that time relied upon their husbands for their subsistence. So if their husbands died, they were pretty much just left destitute unless they had family members or, or someone close to them to, to care for them and take them in. 
You know, in the Old Testament, if if a if a woman's husband died, it was it was their the brother of the dead man who was supposed to take her in and marry her. As but this hasn't happened, and so it's saying that uh, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first to put all their religion into practice by caring for their own family. To put your religion into practice. That's being a good witness for Jesus Christ. You know, there were so many people in, in Ephesus that were, were looking at Christians and looking for any way to discredit them and discredit their, the, the name of Jesus. So they were very aware, Paul was very aware that anything that they say or do would be put, bring Jesus into a bad light and hurt people of the faith. And I think it's in James chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, I think I got it wrote down here somewhere. It says, but we who, how does it go? We should, uh, let me look it up. I thought I had it right here somewhere. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from be, being polluted by the world. Religion that, our God, the God, that God our Father accepts as pure and fault, faultless. Now, if God says that that's pure and faultless, I think that's probably something we ought to be doing, huh? Something we ought to be doing. It's pleasing to God, and it also it repays our parents and our grandparents. You know, I, I thought about that a lot, and my mother has passed away, and and uh, both of my my grandparents, you know, and I I remember when my grandfather was up in his years, and I was married and trying to make a living and, and taking care of my own family well, and and he would call me. I was I'm gonna tell you, I was his favorite grandchild. I was his firstborn grandson, and I spent more time with him than than anybody, you know, uh, and I loved him with my whole heart more than probably any other man besides Jesus. And he, he, was, he set a godly example for me, and, and I loved him. But time constraints were very, very tough on me. And he would call me up, and, and he would want me to come and see him, and he would have chores for me to do. And I'd go up there, and I'd rush around, and, and I'd start weed-eating, or I'd start mowing. Sometimes he'd call me because he had a hankering for some rabbit pie, and I'd have to go kill a couple rabbits for him. And, uh, but I was always rushed, and he would say, Bradley Joe, come, come sit with me a while. And I'd say, Grandpa, Granddad, I'd love to, but I really got to get back home. I need to get these chores done and get back to, my, to work and get back home and do things down there. You know, and I regret not sitting there, taking the time out. I was too much of a Martha to be a Mary, you know? And that's one of the things that I will regret till the day I die, that those that, that loved me well, I didn't really make the time for. Young people, are you listening to me? Don't be like me. Spend time as you can with, with those, your grandparents and your parents while you can. I thought I was going to have my mother for a long, long time. God showed her something different. So honor your grandparents and your parents while you can. Because this is pleasing to God. 
and it repays them for the kindness and, and everything that they've done for you. Amen? It says, a widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God, and she continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. You know, and I read that, and I thought of, <laughs> of a story I heard that, that a pastor had told one time about this poor widow who went to her cupboard, and there was nothing in the cupboard at all to eat. And she was completely destitute. She had no family. She had no one taking care of her. And she did. She was crying out the Lord day, out, day after day and night after night. Oh, Lord, I know that you're my Jehovah Jireh. You can provide, Father. I just ask, Lord, that you would fill my cupboard and that you would fill my pantry so I would have something to eat. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. Well, the next morning she gets up and walks out on her front porch, and lo and behold, there's boxes of groceries on her front porch. Amen. All kinds of boxes. And she looks up and she says, thank you, Lord. You did it. You did it. You did it. And about that time, she had a neighbor who was an atheist. And he jumps up on the porch and she scared her and says, aha! He didn't do it. I did it. I heard your prayers through the window last night, and I'm an atheist, and I don't believe in God, and I just wanted to show you that God doesn't do anything. I was the one who did that. I went to the grocery store, and I bought all these groceries, and I put them on your porch. And she said, thank you, Lord. And she, he looks at him. He says, he did it. He did it. He did it. And he says, hey, were you not listening to me? I was the one who did it. I did that. God didn't do There is no God. I did these things. And she looks at him, and she looks up to heaven. She raises her hand. Thank you, Lord. You did it. You did it. You did it. And you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> yes. So anyway, those widows who were really in need, crying out to the Lord for their assistance, had nobody else. It's the obligation of faith families to take care of them, just like it was in the book of Acts. Remember, there was some, some complaints about from the, from the Grecian Jews about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being neglected in, in the daily distribution of food. Remember that? So there was a, an order in the church on how to take care of of these wid widows who were totally destitute and they were left all alone. They put their hope in God and God helped them through God's people. Or sometimes God used atheists to get it done. Amen. It says here, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. And what, what that scripture means, I believe, you know, and I kind of really struggled with that a little bit, but I believe that she was he was talking about those widows who didn't cry out to the Lord all the time, but they, they maybe had some means of wealth and stuff, so, so they didn't cry out to the Lord day and night. And so many times we get to be the same way because we are so, so prosperous, we don't think we need God. We can do it on our own, right? So they, they are not crying out to God. And they, they, they live for pleasure, and it says they're dead even while they live. And I believe a lot of this might be re referring back to those who, who were leaving the faith of, of being united with Christ and going back to the old pagan religions that they had left. Um, 
and says, Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the face, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think in some scriptures it talks about being worse than pagans because even pagans took care of their own. In most cultures at that time, elderly people and widows were honored and they were taken care of. They were... They were taken care of. Pagans didn't do that. And it says here that, you know, it, it talks about, you know, give the people these instructions so that no one might be open to blame. Just like I sh shared earlier, there were a lot of people who were watching the lives of these early Christians. And any time that they did something that was, was not according to, to what they thought was right, that they would point it out just to use it as, as a wedge to drive people back into the to, to the pagan religions so anyone who didn't care for their for their their family members and relatives were worse than unbelievers or worse than the pagans and and paul's warning them about that he's warning us too right he's warning us too in verse 9 it says no widow may be put on the list of widows the list of widows hmm and what I've studied and read about that list, the word that they use there is the same word that it's a military term called muster. And this list may refer to the fact that there was an, an order of widows who would, would, would uh, enter in to service to the church, to serve, to pray, to comfort the, the people who were in need and, and do church-related things to act as ministers. And I, I'm going to go into that a little bit here in just a second, but we're going to read the list of qualifications for, for widows here on this list of widows, and you're going to see quite a bit of the same characteristics that Paul wrote to Timothy about elders. About elders. It says, no widow is to be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, and helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good do deeds. So we see a list of, of, of things where these widows on this list who would enter into a covenant or an agreement to serve the church that the, the church would take care of them and provide for their needs. Um, you know, when I've seen this and I thought about uh, in the Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37, it talks about a prophetess named Anna. Remember that? When, when Jesus was taken into the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day, uh, it says this, that there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She lived at the temple. If she, was, if she didn't leave the temple, somebody had to take care of her, right? So we have that. Then, uh, then I was thinking about in, in Acts chapter 9, and there's a story about a lady that had died. Her name was Dorcas, 936. 
Let's read this because it also talks about a bunch of women who have lost their husbands. And it says in, in verse 36, chapter 9 of, of the book of Acts, it says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good, helping the poor. And about that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in, the ups, in an upstairs room. It says, Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went to, with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood, widows, all the widow, widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So we see that there's these group of ladies who are widows doing things for the people in the church. Dorcas is making clothes. She's doing good for people. Anna was a prophetess. And when you hear the word prophet, you think about somebody who predicts upcoming future events, right? But that's not necessarily always the case. A prophet is also one who's near to God, who spends time communing with God. And it is clear that Anna was that type of person who, who lived at the temple and she was praying day and night. And, you know, she... These women, these widows, were servants of the church. Anna, Dorcas, and we have our servants in our church too, don't we? Sue, Donnie. How many widows we have? Can we, can we just honor them? Have them can we stand for me, please? I don't know, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just want you to take a look. Sue and Bonnie, look around. These are some folks that we need to, to honor, take care of. Thank you. Thank you for your service. So this, this list that we see, that he's talking about her is an order of widows who've lost their husbands, who've devoted themselves to service, to the service of God and to the services of their churches. You know, and they should be compensated and they should be honored and revered because they, they deserve it. And in chapter, chapter 5, verse 11 in 1 Timothy, it, it talks about younger widows too. It says, as for these younger widows, don't put them on such a list. And I believe that what Paul is, is, is referring to here is from an experience that they've had, maybe in chapter 4, where somebody had, had left the faith. We, we, well, let me just read it, and I'll explain later when I get done here. It says, for when the, as for younger widows, do not put them on the list. For when, such, when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. And what he's talking about there, I believe, is these widows who entered into service of the church and they, they, they pledged themselves to serve God for the rest of their days, but, but then they've fallen away. They've, they've went back because they had a desire to marry and they, to, to raise families. They were young women who, who had that, that need. And it says they bring judgment on themselves. But what he's talking about there is, is the judgment of, of people watching that they fell away from the faith. And they, they, you know, he said it brings a kind of a bad 
a bad name to, to the church. Says, but then he goes on to say, and we see the same kind of talk in, in chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, besides they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, become idlers, they become gossips and busybodies, saying things that they ought not to. So what he's referring to there, if you look back in chapter 4, he was talking about, you know, that have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Well, what he was battling here was, was people that were false teachers. You know, these false teachers were coming in and putting uh, these false doctrines and false ideas in folks' heads, and these, these widows that he's talking about, these idlers and these busybodies and the gossipers, uh, they were, were going about house to house and, and sharing these, these false teachings with other women, and it was creating division and, and causing a lot of folks to fall away. Does that make sense to you? So he's saying that they, they bring judgment on themselves because of that, and they've broken their first pledge. Remember, when they entered into this order of widows, they pledged themselves to the service of the church and the service of God, but now, because they want to get married, their focus is no longer on God, it's, their focus is on finding a husband. It says some, in fact, have already turned away to follow Satan. And it goes on to verse 16, if any is woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help widows who are really in need. And you have to realize in the first century church, there were many, many people coming in to, to faith in Jesus Christ. So they had a lot of people with a lot of needs. And a lot of the church's resources were going out to, to help these, these widows and stuff. And so he's giving them counsel and trying to free up some of the financial resources in order to help those who are really in need. If they've got somebody in their families that should be helping them, he's saying, help them, right? So they won't be burdened with them. Same way it was in Acts chapter 6 when, when they had the, the, the complaint about the Grecian widows being left out of, of the distribution of food, or the, the Hebraic uh, people, or the Hebrews were not uh, supporting the the the, the Gentile uh, widows, and then it, it says, you know, that they were being overwhelmed. You know, you had your disciples, your apostles, after, after the Holy Spirit came on them, they were wanting to, to devote themselves to teaching and preaching, but then they were having to take time out to, to make sure that, 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 that the food was being distributed properly to everybody. And he says, you know, we need to devote our time to teaching and preaching. We will appoint deacons to do these things. And that's when, you know, we had the uh, deacons. But it all came about because of, of the, uh, the issue with, with the widows. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's, it's saying if, if family members and, and folks have widows in their family, that they should take care of them so that the church can focus on those who are really destitute and, and have no one. Then in verse 17, he's, he goes from, from, from widows to elders. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in is preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. You know, 
then it goes on to say, do not entertain an accusation against elders unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. And we see this, you know, it says that they should receive double honor, but if they fall away and they're caught in sin, then they should be doubly rebuked, right? It says that, I think it's in James chapter 3, that, that not many should should desire to be teachers and preachers because they were going to be held to a higher standard and judged more, more severely. So that's what Paul's talking to Timothy about, and, and he's talking about do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. And like I said, at that particular time, there was a lot of, of people coming against, in Ephesus, coming against Christians and against the church there. So they would bring false accusations against some of the elders and some of, some of the, the ones. And he says, don't entertain that unless two or three witnesses can back it up. You just don't go by hearsay on one person. Well, I heard that so-and-so did this, you know. Don't even entertain it, he's saying. But if they are found to be in sin and they are elders, then they are to be rebuked publicly. We understand and know that if we have disagreements with somebody else that's caught in sin, that we're supposed to go to them privately, right? But with an elder, if they're caught in sin... It's a, re a public rebuking, and it's done for what reason? So that others may take warning. And then verse 21, he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing without outside it with, out of favoritism. You know, and, and that's kind of what the teaching of Jesus too, wasn't it? That we don't have favorites. Everybody... Jesus loved everybody, and that's what we're called to do, too. And all, although I, I love you guys greatly, he's called me to love other folks outside of these walls that might not be so loving to me. I'm still called to love them, right? We're called to love them. So he's given these instructions to Timothy on how to deal with divisions and, 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 and issues in the church. And, but, but these... I guess I just want to go back and, and, and talk to you about honoring these widows because this order of widows that he's got on this list, like I said, it has the same, a lot of the same characteristics that Paul has told Timothy about overseers. And I'm just going to read them to you. It says that the overseer and elder should be above reproach. Nobody can even bring any accusation against him because he's, he's, he lives that such a godly life. The husband of but, of but one wife and the widows, one husband, right? Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well. That's what we, we saw in the widows, right? That they were supposed to be able to have, have managed their own families well. And uh, he keeps, you know, these things that, that we see with the, the elders, we see also qualifications for this class of widows. So I think that what we see here was he's talking about workers in the church. And I, I believe that those widows were held in such high esteem, that list of widows, that order of widows, they were, they were people to be respected and, and to be taken care of too. 
we have widows in our own family. We're to take care of them. We're to take care of the needs for them. We pay them and also because it's pleasing to God. So many times when the, you know, I'm just going to give you a little personal story before I close. Um, right now, Michelle's mom is is in a in an assisted living facility. She's really been struggling here the last few days. And, and uh, what blesses me so much is I've seen the way that her, her sons and daughters have come to her to love on her, to support her, and to do the things, thus repaying her, her, their mother. And we had a granddaughter there <laughs> to repay respect and honor and to love on her. You know, they should never be forgotten. And so many times that's what happens. There's so many people in, in those nursing homes that have no one. I met with a lady, and I prayed with a lady yesterday who's, who feels like her son's abandoned her in a place like that. And I don't believe it's the case, but she feels that way. You know? And that has to be one of the saddest feelings for a mom to feel like she's been abandoned by her children. Well, I admonish you. That's a gentle warning to give special honor to your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents. Because they sacrificed themselves, their own time, their own resources, that you might have a better life. Never discount that. What you have largely is because somebody made a sacrifice for you. With that being said, Someone made the greatest sacrifice for us. He did it on a cross, and his name was Jesus. And we give him honor and respect when we partake of the communion elements. And we're going to take communion. We're going to set up the elements on the four corners of the room. And, you know, if, if we take these elements, we're supposed to do it in the, with the right attitude supposed to examine our own hearts and if this teaching has stirred something in you today i pray that father or that you would just ask the father to 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 make changes in your life to give you a repentant heart that you if you see something that you might not have done but you need to be doing that that it would prompt you to set out to do those things because remember god didn't hold anything back from us our parents and our grandparents never held anything back either. It's for Jesus. If he went to that cross, and I don't know that he really wanted to die, but he was in that garden crying out, Father, not my will, but your will be done. But if it's your will, take this cup from me. Because he knew what he was going to face. The, the mocking, the beating, the being spat upon. Huge chunks of his beard and his flesh being torn all out of his face that he wasn't even recognizing. And then on top of that, he got nailed to a, a 
cross to die in agony to imagine the pain to bear. And he did it all for you and me. And he said, when we take of that cup that represents his blood and eat of that bread that represents his body, that we're to do those things in remembrance of what he endured for us. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He gave it all. So I challenge you today, before you drink of that cup and eat of that bread, will you pledge to Jesus and give him your life? Not holding anything back. I challenge you with that today. And if there's somebody here today that wants to make that pledge and that commitment to God, we're here for you. We love you. There ain't no condemnation. We're all sinners and we're all saved by grace. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're here and you want to make that commitment to serve Him, we're here for you. We'd love to pray for you. You can either come up here and and myself, Rusty, we got people that will pray with you. But if you don't feel comfortable making that step of faith and coming up here, wherever you're sitting, just stand and raise your hand. People will surround you and love on you and pray for you because that's what we do here. So as the musicians play, won't you come? The invitation is open and the table of grace on all four corners of this room are ready to receive you. I pray that you're ready to receive him. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people across this, this nation and, and indeed across the world, Lord. I pray that revival would break out here as well in our own hearts, but it begins with us. And, and Father, I pray that we would repent. We would cry out for you. I thank you for what you've done.